You're listening to Inspired Edinburgh, a weekly interview show that brings you raw and powerful conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Our mission is to inspire and encourage you to reflect on your identity, beliefs, purpose and worldview. If you enjoy this, please subscribe for future episodes and feel free to contact us via any of our social media channels. Thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to the show and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Mark Asquith. Mark is a serial entrepreneur, international keynote speaker, UK's number one business podcaster and a millennial influencer. Since quitting your real job in 2005, you've gone on to found award-winning global design agency Hacksaw, media company and podcast Excellence Expected, with guests such as Mark Ducker, Amy Schmittauer, Guy Kawasaki, Rand Fishkin and John Lee Dumas, with whom you also co-founded website design business podcast websites. You've cultivated a personal brand that has created an audience of worldwide fans and you speak across the world at tech, business and media events, particularly in the US. You have a straight talking, no bullshit style. You spend all of your speaking fees on hot dogs and beard products (laughs) and you once heckled Rick Astley enough to upset him. (laughs) Mark, it's absolutely brilliant to have you here. Welcome to the show. now I'm going to stop that. You, you call you called Mark you called Chris Ducker Mark Ducker. Oh, did I really? Yeah. Oh, my bad. That's all right. Oh, I've got Mark Ducker here. No, it's Chris. Chris. It's, it's Chris. Chris. I know. He'd go, I know. He'd go crazy at that. He'd go crazy. Oh, sorry, Chris. No, it's not we personal. Love we love it. <laughs> it's it's great to have you here, Mark. Uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you, buddy. It's a pleasure. It's. Uh, you know, I've never been anywhere quite like this. Look at this drawing room. This is insane. <laughs> like, I'm, dude, I'm from Barnsley. So, mum, if you're listening, you need to up your game because the, the, the living room is just not good enough. We need to get into a place like this. This is awesome, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a true pleasure. So, I mean, okay, let's, let's start with the practical stuff. There is a, a hot dog incident that I've come across in your bios. You need to tell me what this is. Yeah, the hot dog story. This is kind of, so, you know, Simon Sinek, obviously, mm-hmm. he, he talks about the why, doesn't he? He yeah. talks about the whole, know your why and stick to the why and understand that and really get underneath the skin of that, what drives you and what moves you forward. The hot dog story is my why. <clears throat> and I actually discovered this on uh, our mutual friend Brad Burton on his Brad Camp. It was a story that I never told before. And I don't know why I told it on that day. <laughs> so the story goes, he, he on this Brad Camp, which was how to be a better speaker. It was how do you become a better public speaker? And I'd done a bit of it in the past and I'd, I'd been in bands and played on stage in front of thousands of people before. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, I'd, I'd done the stage thing. So I went on this Brad camp and um, Brad was saying like, what's the linchpin? What's your story? What's your thing? And he was doing it to everyone. And I, for some reason, told this story that I, one, didn't intend on saying and two, I had absolutely no reason to draw on it from like 25 years ago. I don't know why I told this story. And it, it just became this thing. And I didn't realize until I told the story on that day that that truly was why I do what I do. I'd never, I'd never made this connection. Um, so the story is, I'm gonna take you back to 1991, mm-hmm. 1992. So I think we were in the midst of like Panini football stickers. We were in mm-hmm. the midst of WWE. 
F wrestling as it was then, and <clears throat> The Undertaker and you know Bret the Hitman Hart. Like we were, you and I are a similar Classic. age, so we were in. You know, we remember those things. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were huge. We had shell suits. We were wearing the old England shell suits from Italian ninety that Chris Waddle <laughs> wore. That's that's the setting of this hot dog story. So I'm I'm a and just coming up to my eleventh birthday, I think, maybe just after, and I go to this school disco. We used to have these school discos on this tiny little this tiny little school that I used to go to called Upward in a little village called Darfield. And <laughs> I go to this school disco and for some reason, I'm just coming up to age 11 and I don't know why, but for some reason at age 11, I'm thinking, I must now impress girls. I don't know why, because I'd not experienced that feeling before or needing to do that or feeling like I wanted to do that before. Mm-hmm. And there's one girl called one girl called Kirsty. Um my good friend Scott, if 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 you're watching this, you'll you'll understand this. He 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 was, you know, he was like, What are you doing? What are you doing? Girl smell. You know, <laughs> we were still in that mindset, girl smell. So I'm, I turn up at this school disco and I had a very small group of friends. I was the grey kid at school. I was the nondescript. I didn't get involved in anything. I was the shy introverted kid and I am quite introverted now which I'm sure I'm sure we'll dig into later <laughs> but I was the same at school so I turned up for this school disco and everyone's there this one girl that I want to impress is there with all her friends my friends are there Scott Martin Andrew um Pete we're all there and we're queuing up for this hot dog queuing up for this this just it was like just normal food. Now, I was the kid that was on school dinners. I was on the free dinners. Come from a really poor sort of family. Didn't really have much. And and, and I, I, I just had no idea how these things work. So I turned up to this school disco and we're all in line. For some reason, there's my friends in front of me and I'm the end of my group. There's Kirsty's friends next to us and Kirsty's the first in her group. So I'm like next to her. Like this timid, like, hi, <laughs> you know, have you seen turtles this week? <laughs> She's like, what are you talking to me for? So we're all queuing along. I'm in a world of my own. We get to my turn and the server, the dinner lady, it was a dinner lady who was working an evening shift, bless her. She was, what do you want? And she said, I'll have a hot dog. So she handed me the hot dog. At the very same time that I grabbed the hot dog, she said, that's 20 pence. And I didn't have 20 pence. I had nothing because come from a poor family literally didn't have a penny to give to her. So in front of everyone, everyone, all of my friends who were fine, but more importantly, in front of this one person that at age 11, coming up to 11, I wanted to impress that much. (laughs) I had to give the hot dog back. Literally had to give the hot dog back. And at that moment, for for an 11-year-old introverted person Mm -hmm. who doesn't like being in the spotlight, didn't like any of that stuff, that... I just crushed me, man. Like, I was out. I was just done. And I was embarrassed. I was shy. I was humiliated. I wanted every possible version of let the ground swallow me up. I wanted to happen. Like, every mm. single variant of that that you can think of, I wanted to get out of there quickly. And I was just, it was awful. And that feeling, this, this sinking, this like tight, clenched fist around something inside you yeah. was awful. And it was, it, it, I remember the feeling. And I think throughout my school life, I'd had a couple of those moments and not realised it. And that was the reason that I do, or why I started 
having this problem with authority. I've got a huge, a huge authority problem. Hmm. So I had this massive issue with control. Like, why? How has this person somehow, and how have these set of circumstances been able to make me feel like this? What? What was that? Why did that happen? How did that happen? What was? What were the elements that contributed to me feeling like that? And what can I do for the rest of my life to make sure that I never feel like that again? Wow. And I didn't realise that. Wow. I, and it's crazy. <laughs> I, expect, I expected the hot dog story to be a kind of, you know, humorous anecdote <laughs> rather than a kind of traumatic event, really, is what that would have been like at such a young age. Oh, it was... It was at the time, no one else would have thought of anything of it. Like we, you and I were out last night, and we were talking about things that happen in your personal life, and mm-hmm. what happens when this thing happens, and you have you build this thing up in your mind, and then you tell someone, no one gives a shit. Yeah, it was similar <laughs> in that circumstance. No one gave a shit about the hot dog. No one cared. They were just like, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they forgot about it. But to me, it was huge. Mm-hmm. It was a completely pivotal moment, and I didn't. I really didn't understand it until I was much older. But when I look back throughout my life, which I'm sure we'll get into, I was very clearly rebelling against ever feeling like that again. Mm. Very clearly, every decision that I've made, from leaving jobs to leaving relationships, it's always been about actually something somewhere is controlling how I'm living. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of fine with that if there's enough overlap with what I want to live like. But the minute that they start to separate and this other controlling force starts to become prevalent, mm-hmm. then I'm done. You know, I'm out. I've got to get this. I've got to, not necessarily a control thing, but I've got to make sure that I am actually being who I want to be and living how I want to live. And whenever there's any, any, any external force that's controlling it, I'm done. And it, I didn't realize, but it stemmed right back to that. So when Brad asked me, what's your talking point? What's the thing? I fully intended on standing up in front of that room and telling a totally different story. Hmm. But I told that one. It just came out. It just came out on that day. And then instantly Brad says, oh, dog kid, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then it's become a thing, which is wonderful. You know, I'm eternally grateful mm-hmm. for Brad to Brad for drawing that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is quite harrowing. And the more people mm-hmm. that I speak to, like, you know, my, my sister works with us at podcast websites. You know, if she talked to her about the story, she's like, yeah, holy shit. I get that she obviously came from the same family, and she, you know, she has her her own variants of that story mm-hmm. because we had the same upbringing. So I think a lot of people will get that mm-hmm. that idea that circumstance and situation and other people, through no fault of their own, end up controlling what you do. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's scary as fuck. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, you know, it's a real. That really gets me. That, mm-hmm. that, that's why I do what I do. Uh, so that's the hot dog that's story. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's amazing how you can kind of build up a picture of someone based on how they are now. And you just kind of have an expectation if their childhood would have been, you know, whatever, you know, white middle class or whatever, I guess. Um, going a little bit deeper, I guess, like in terms of your family life and your, your kind of growing up, I mean, what was that kind of like? Yeah, do you know, it was a funny one, actually. I look back on it and actually it was fine. Mm-hmm. But at the time I was this really... I was a moody little shit. Really? I was a bad teenager. Like my mum, again, if you're watching this, so my mum and dad broke up when I was really young. I think my earliest memory is actually being in Scarborough with my mum and dad um, and walking up to the paper shop with my dad. I actually, I have no other memories of them being together. And so that was around age three. 
Mm. Um, I'm sure if not, my mum will put something in the comments saying, actually, that was age four, you little... <laughs> <laughs> not that old. But yeah, it was, that was around age three. Um, so my, my, my parents broke up when I was really, really young. Mm-hmm. So I, I, my stepdad Lee came along and my dad got remarried to Carolyn. And, you know, we always had these two separate families. Didn't see my dad and that side of things too much. Never really shared a full family life until, until much older, until being an adult, actually. Because mm-hmm. my dad and I are a little bit similar, actually a lot similar in certain regards, especially with business. We, we both love helping people and what we do mm-hmm. um, and doing it in our own professions. You know, he's an electrician. He loves what he does. And he gets so excited about his thing like I do about my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't really have that super deep relationship. It was all proxied through my nan and my granddad. We, we'd, we'd see them Tuesdays and Thursdays and my dad would be there. And we had this kind of proxy relationship there, which was cool. And then on the other side of things, we had this really, um, it was an interesting and challenging kind of home life like my mum and my stepdad are fantastic but they they never really had that much and they were you know they were quite strict they were quite tough on us at times but at the same time I I don't think we ever certainly me I didn't ever really appreciate like just the shit that they were going through a lot of the time like the pressure Mm -hmm. when a kid comes back from school and says I want this thing because Mm -hmm. everyone else has got this thing Mm -hmm. for them to actually physically not be able to get that thing and have to one let your kid down or two do something to strive to try and get that thing which puts pressure on their relationship never really realized it so it was it was a very weird upbringing I was always very well supported I was into music and um ladies if you're watching I used to play trombone so calm down um (laughs) I was such a geek man I'm gonna show I'm gonna show you some pictures if anyone wants some pictures hit me up on any of the social medias and I will send you the pictures of me with my trombone. Um, uh, I, I, I actually read, um, and I think I'm right in saying this, that you're something like 70 pounds heavier than you were when you were younger. Oh, that's a funny one, yeah. I was a skinny kid. Yeah, I was super skinny. In fact, I'll send you the picture though. So my good friend Adam, I was out with him last week, and he was talking about this very, very thing. Very, very thing. He said to a friend of mine, uh, Wayne, he said, do you know what? I've got a picture of Mark. Maybe... 12 years ago, where I'm, I probably weighed, I don't know, 10 and a half stone. Seriously. So like 160 pounds. And then around 2012, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Because I'm six foot one and a half, six foot two ish. Yeah. And I was just, like, my arms were this size. (laughs) I was tiny and I was just nothing fitting and I looked awful, like I was ill all of the time. So I just started training hard at the gym and, and, you know, put on. I got from 10 and a half stone to 15 stone and that, that, that was just in, in, in a year pretty much, in 18 months, oh, wow. sorry. So it was, and it, but that again was a bit of a, uh, like a bit of a remnant. You know when you get a bit older, all the things that you were bothered about as a kid, you, you strive to fix. I know a guy, um, a good friend of mine back in the day, who I've not seen for a while now, granted, but he, he set about when he was around our age, you know, mid-30s, early 30s, and he... Um, <laughs> 20s, 20s, late 20s, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Both in our 30s, it's fine. (laughs) Um, But he set about to fix all of the things that he felt he'd done wrong as a kid. Mm -hmm. So he'd go out and find the kids that he bullied as a kid. And he he wasn't a bully, but he Mm. would like, he might take the piss out of them or, you know, and he went and he apologized to them. And that's, I think Mm. we all kind of do that to a degree. I think we, like, my thing was, I'm a skinny kid, I'll never put weight on, I can never get any bigger, I can never have a certain type of feel to myself. And actually, that's all crap. I can't. I just need to put the work in. So I think a lot of people do that in the 30s. They'll, 
Hmm. The 20s is like finding where you sit in the world. Yeah. And then the 30s is being, this is my place. Yeah. I'm really comfortable in it. You know, so it's weird. I don't know if you found that. Have you found that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I can really relate to that. Yeah. I find as though I, I didn't fully sort of crystallize as a person until I was actually, and even, and even still, it's kind of an ongoing process of self discovering who the, who the hell am I. But yeah. yeah, I can relate to that a lot. And it's all right to do things that you thought weren't all right. You know, that, like even just being bold about how you dress or hmm. bold about what you do with your hair or bold about how you talk or bold about the places that you go. Yeah. It's all right to do that. And some people just sit back on it, especially like from my perspective, coming from a family that didn't necessarily do those things. Like I travel a hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. I've done, I think I've done two months, around two months in the States this year. Did a month in one go. And then I've done bits and bobs, like some earlier this year, some later this year, speaking gigs around the world and been all over the place. Mm -hmm. And you, you kind of feel bad for it. I used to feel really bad for that because you're not, you're not allowed to do these things. Someone from Darfield doesn't do these things. They just, they drop the kids off at the same school that I went to. Mm. And then their kids will drop their kids off at the same school. And that's wonderful if that is how your brain works and what you want. But growing up in that area and, and being going through your 20s and knowing that you kind of want to do this stuff, but everyone else is doing this stuff, mm-hmm. it's, it's challenging. Because like you say, you don't crystallize. And then when you do crystallize, you think, you know what? I can do this. I can do what I want. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You know? And I yeah. think a lot of people do struggle with that. There's a lot of imposter syndrome yeah. that kicks in with that. You know, Especially you see it with people that do, um, do really well from some sort, sort of poorer backgrounds. Mm-hmm. They really, they don't like to do the things that they want to do. Or at least talk about the things mm-hmm. that they want to do. Because they feel a little, like a little mm. bit bad. Like, why... Why am I? Why do I get to do this stuff? In fact, I recorded, I recorded an episode of my uh, my podcast mm-hmm. about this. Episode one nine three is about like I had a really bad day. I wasn't batching any of my podcasts. I was just recording daily, so it's a daily show, seven minutes every day. Mm-hmm. And I was recording on the fly, and I was just doing it every day, just to see, because you don't know what happens. It's you know, it's it's a great way to live and to record what's happening. So I was, yeah. I was telling the story. I I can't remember what I had done. I'd done something. I'd maybe booked to go to Dallas for a speaking um, <laughs> event or I'd booked to come here. I'd done something mm-hmm. where I was like, do you know what? Ordinarily, I wouldn't be able to do that. Mm. But at the same time, I saw someone from my old school who was really struggling. And it caught it, I was wildly conflicted. Like I said, if you listen to episode 193, you'll hear me struggling. <laughs> my show is called The Seven Minute Mentor. It's like a 20 minute rant. <laughs> so I totally go against my own rules of this is a seven minute show. I did 20 minutes on just, I don't know how to deal with this. Like some people can't get out of the car. Some people can't get out of bed. Some people can't mm-hmm. get food. Some people can't, some people have no choice but to live how they're living. And I've got somehow managed to just really luckily craft a life that so far has allowed me to have some choices. Mm-hmm. And holy shit, man, like that kicked, that kicked the crap out of me. I didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And I still, I honestly still don't know how to deal with it. You know, I'm still figuring out why Why am I lucky enough to get to do these things mm-hmm. when other people are afflicted with so many problems? Like mm-hmm. my mum's really ill and, and, you know, she's got all sorts of different things wrong and it's just like one thing after the other. She's like, she gets slammed by it every week. It's like there's something new, bless her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how, how the fuck has she got it so bad? Yeah. And touch wood so far, like the worst I have to deal with is, oh shit, the heating's not come on. 
half an hour earlier than I wanted it because it's winter. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's oh, it's cold in my house. Like that's the worst thing that I've had to deal with this week, and it's yeah. it baffles me that like this control issue that I had with the hot dog story. Mm-hmm. Some people just don't have the ability to say this. This is the thing controlling me, like my mum's illnesses. That's the thing controlling her. But she physically cannot do anything. I was lucky to be able to say, "Here are the things that are controlling me." Mm-hmm. I can, luckily, I can remove them. Yeah. But she, she cannot get rid of them. And I'm like, you're like, how does that work? Mm. Like, what a. And I think it's a challenge as well. So coming from this entrepreneurial lifestyle, you know, all the interviews you do, all the wonderful work you do, and the guys that that are in similar circles to how, how we work, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people will say, well, it's a choice and, you know, you've got to get up and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do the other and you've got to read the books, you've got to personally develop. Right, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But how do you stop kidney failure? Hmm. You know, it's the old Superman problem. Like, I'm a huge DC Comics fan, a whole massive Superman um, fan, Ma- massive. Yeah. Like, like, like the, the ideals of a fictional character or what drive me to do the best thing, which is so weird. But I'm like, what would Superman do? <laughs> that is our work, honestly. It's so weird. Um, but look, at, if you look at Superman the movie, 1978, the biggest conflict that he's got in his life is that he can run as quick as anything. He, can, he, runs, he runs past the train. He can jump at that point. He can jump miles and miles and miles. Eventually, he learns how to fly. Mm. He can turn back time to stop an earthquake. He can turn back the time to do it. Mm-hmm. But he can't stop his dad having a heart attack. Mm. Doesn't matter. If he turns time back, the heart's still going to be a problem. Doesn't mm. matter how far back you go. He's got all the strength. He's got all the speed. He's got all the power. He's got the goodwill. He's got the nobility. He's got the honor. He's got mm-hmm. everything that you need. But the one thing that he wants to be able to stop, he cannot do it. Yeah. And that's, it's a bit of an analogy, I think, for a lot of people. Like people in this entrepreneurial, this business space. Mm-hmm. It's all, get off your ass. You know, the Gary Vee, grind, 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 grind. Yeah, yeah, what if your fucking legs don't work? <laughs> what, if you, what if your ears don't work? What if your eyes don't work? I know you work with it and you, you overcome that mm-hmm. in your own way. Mm-hmm. But we, we very often can't appreciate what's going on with people. You know, everyone's got their own battle. Like yeah. how you can't, possibly, you can't possibly understand what's happening with this person. And I think that's a big challenge in this kind of space, entrepreneurship and... Yeah. You know, we all want to be up here and anyone that's down here, there's been this massive trend recently of people looking down on the people that are in corporate jobs hmm. and saying, well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, fuck off. What? That's paying a bill. That's paying, yeah. it's paying for the kids to go through school. It's paying for everything that this person wants. Like, who are you just because you've chosen this entrepreneurship path? Who are you mm-hmm. to judge mm-hmm. this person in nine to five? Like, fuck you. Hmm. Why, why are you allowed to do that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge challenge with online and with digital um, yeah. everyone assumes that if they're not doing if other people aren't doing what they are doing then they're wrong yeah which is crazy that's horrible you know anyway yeah <laughs> no you're you're spot on absolutely how did you end up becoming an entrepreneur what was the, your sort of career path and and yeah it was in 2005 what, what happened so back to control man yeah yeah so i'm going to tell you a story i was I'm the typical millennial. Again, you and I spoke about this last night. Yeah. And we said that, you know, millennials really have a two-year path of, of employment. You know, after two years, we'll get bored and we'll want something different. We'll want a challenge. We'll want a change. Hmm. We'll want that fulfillment. So I was doing that. I was, every two years, I was, I was changing my job. And I was bored. I was doing corporate work. 
And I moved away when I was younger. I moved away from bands and I moved down south to a place called Crawley to live with a girl, actually, which is really, really still talk to her today. She's wonderful. <laughs> and we, we still get along really well. But I moved down there and it was really, it was me getting out of the scenario that I was in. Yeah, I didn't want to live in bands. I was working two jobs at the time. I was working for my dad as an electrician, apprentice electrician, never finished the apprenticeship. Uh, sorry, dad. Um, <laughs> but then I was, I was delivering pizzas as well alongside that to try and just boost the cash. So I got out of that and I moved down to Crawley mm-hmm. and got this corporate job. I walked in with a, a one pound dragon tie from Topman. Uh, on which was I don't know how I got the bloody job but I got this job did two years there moved back up to Barnsley um, got the same kind of job in Leeds and one day this is 2003 to 2002 maybe mm-hmm. so think back to how we used to dress in 2002 <laughs> like we were probably driving six and Citroen Saxo VTRs we were probably um, what were we wearing probably wearing some kind of diesel clothing and we probably had like the haircuts that we've got now like shaved on the sides but with bleach on the top. Like, we all had these really weird haircuts. <laughs> so I walked into work with this bleached hair. Just highlights, you know the score. <laughs> and the boss pulled me aside. And he said, Mike, you're going to have to get your hair cut. I was like, what? I was like, well, you can't have bleach. I said, why, do you, why can't I have bleach? I'm not customer facing. Never saw any customers. I was back office. Never saw anyone. Never saw anyone. And never really... Saw clients, never saw customers, never saw any other real staff apart from the team that I was in and, and him and, and a couple of other managers. And he said, no, you can't. It's policy that you're not allowed to bleach your hair. I said, well, that's fine. No worries. I will cut my hair. But before I do that, what I'd love you to do is go and get Christine, who sits next to me, bring her in and tell her to shave her head and get those highlights out of her as well. And he just went... Don't worry about it. And open the door and I went back to my desk and carried Seriously? on working. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. I was like, this is just a, and that was, I remember it vividly. Like the hot dog moment was one thing. Uh-huh. This is another thing where it stands out in my mind. I'm like, why is this idiot just taking a rule from up there, uh-huh. mindlessly applied it in a sexist way yeah. to me just because... There was no reason. I was outputting work. I was delivering. I was doing my job well. We were a great little team. And just because this, this thing triggered in his head, he was like, oh, you can't do that because we're a company. We're professional. Are you really professional, actually, bringing someone in and actually being a little bit sexist with them? Is that, mm. Who's more professional, you doing that or me challenging it? And that was a real catalyst. It was mm. me thinking... This is mindless. Mm-hmm. And this is at age 23, so I'm like the arrogant little millennial shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly. I, I'm, so I, 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 I just had to leave that thing. I had to leave it. So what I then did, which is, comes back to the entrepreneurship question, what I then did was I got another job, the same kind of job in another city. And I got a two grand pay rise. I got two grand a year pay rise. So I went from 18 grand a year to 20 grand a year. And I thought to myself, do you know what? This is going to be good. A change is going to be wonderful. I'm going to, I'm going to go down to this new city. It's going to be fantastic. The job's going to be challenging and fulfilling. And I got there on day one and they got me doing the same thing that I was doing at my old job. 
it was like I put my pen down at that old job yeah. and picked the same pen up at my new job and carried on writing the same sentence. It was that similar. Jesus. And the same day I just went up to the, the guy, the, the manager, and just said, I'm out, I'm done. The same day I said, I've been here, I've been here four hours. I am, there is no way that I'm letting you down by leaving. If you don't want to give me a reference, don't give me a reference and I don't want pain. But I'm done. Have you ever seen The Office? Do you watch The Office? Uh, the UK Office? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Love it. It's like when Tim, <coughs> series one, episode four, when he just goes, that's it, I'm out. And he gets up and he walks out. He's like, that, I can't take it anymore. That was me. And I, I didn't, that was the last time I was in an office for um, working for someone else. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was done. I couldn't deal with it. And I, I remember calling my mum. In fact, you know, I, I did two things. I called my mum who was always wildly supportive. And she was like, holy shit, what are you going to do? And I called my dad and it was like, nice work. Well done, son. So that, like, that's, that's, I'm always balancing these two sides, yeah, okay. you know, this kind of, you should probably walk this path. And then my dad's like, oh, it's all right. As long as you're helping people and earning money, it's fine. So that was, uh, when was that? 2005? Yeah, 2005. That's a long time ago now. Yeah, 12 years ago now. It's crazy. Yeah. I know that you had a few ups and downs in that time. Uh, yeah, maybe kind of talk us through some of those. The, the high points and the low points. It'd be really interesting to hear that. Oh, man. Have I got some low points? I, I was an idiot. <laughs> I was a total idiot. So here's what happened, right? I, I, so I thought money was my thing. Okay. I thought that I wanted money. And don't get me wrong. I like money. You like money. We all like money. Anyone that says, oh, you're in business to, to, to be altruistic and, and drive mm. value... That's bollocks, right? You're in business to make money. It's great that you value first and you should always help people first, but without money, mm. you are not feeding people. Hmm. Therefore, you cannot do the things that you like doing or that you want to do to help people. So you need money. We're mm. all in it for money. Hmm. And I, what did I do? So this is the path that I took. I went, I left that job and I went to work for my dad for three weeks. He said, come with me. We'll... We'll just drive around in my van, he's an electrician, we'll do the jobs, you can help me do some stuff, I'll teach you a few bits, because remember I'd worked for him before, so he knew I could do the job, and so I'd just run wires in there, he'd do all the complex electric stuff, but I was like the grunt work, and I was pulling the stuff through, and it was great, and in that three weeks, I saved up for a holiday, and it would have taken me a year to save up for that holiday before, and I was like, wait a sec, so if I work like this, I will earn this level of cash, but it will mean that I don't feel pressured to save for this holiday. So it was the feeling of having the cash, not physically having the cash. It was taking the worry away from saving for this thing that was, that was a real eye-opener. But during that time, I blagged my way into a digital training contract, right? So I'm only 20 grand a year, 20 grand a year. Mm-hmm. I get this digital training contract and suddenly at age 23, I'm only 140 grand a year. Whoa. 140 grand wow. a year, age 23. I didn't know what to do with it. I was what do I do? So I bought a Clio 172, which was awesome. Um, I bought my house, which was good, which I'm still in today. Um, just, uh, yeah, just done a little bit of decorating, first time in 12 years. <laughs> so I, I, I jumped up and I, I was earning good money, like exceptional money. There was one point at the peak, I was, I was earning just under 200 grand a year from contracting, from being a trainer. This is the introvert training people like it just didn't marry up so I was, mm. I was thinking how have I done this I just looked into it blagged my way into it. I've always been very good at learning things and at teaching other people things so I used to learn these digital systems and they pay me a pile of money I worked for the MOD I worked for the NHS I worked for Morrison's and Barclays you know I did contracts for all those guys 
And then I did that for maybe 18 months, saved up maybe 20, 25 grand to set up a business, which I'll get to in a second. And I realized that the money didn't matter. It was the control again, because you know what was happening every day? To earn this money, this level of money, which on paper looks wonderful, I had to be where someone else told me to be for a prescribed set of hours whenever they wanted me to be there. I had to be wherever they said, whenever they said, for as long as they needed me. And I was like, no, no, no. This does not compute. This is, this is someone saying, if you don't do this, I am taking the hot dog back. That's, that is how that worked in my brain. Hmm. So I quit doing that, went back to having no money, um, and I'd saved 20 grand. So running alongside of that, I was in a band. I'm a terrible singer, awful singer, and I'm an average bass player. Um, so I was, I was in a band playing bass, and, and, and I think I was, I was singing at the time because we couldn't get a singer. And let's just be really clear, there's a big distinction between someone that sings and someone that's a singer. I am <laughs> not a singer. I was just like, well, I suppose if I've got to do it. Um, the videos on YouTube will prove that I am not a singer. So I was doing that. And at the time, we needed a website. because it was 2005, 2006. It was like, what's this thing that all these bands are doing? We should probably get a website. So I went to a friend of mine who built websites. <laughs> And he said, dude, of course, I'll build your website. I, I, you're a gem. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> he said, no worries. There's five of you in the band. We'll call it 800 quid. <laughs> I was like, thank you, pal. So we're a band. Like, we have no money. So I just thought to myself, I can probably do this myself. So I locked myself away for a year, much to the annoyance of my girlfriend at the time, <laughs> who understandably is not my girlfriend now. I'd locked myself away for a year and learned, believe it or not, you'll love this. I learned Flash. I learned how to build websites in Flash. So I was building these websites out whilst earning this kind of 140, 160 grand a year. And I was learning to build websites on the side. Locked myself in a room, didn't do really that much socially for a long time. Learned to build these websites. Quit contracting, quit all of this money and put 25 grand or it was just under actually about 20 grand into building my first design business. Nine months later, I had £60 in the bank and no business. <laughs> it was gone. It was gone. And the reason for it was huge. And this is a, this is a massive lesson that I learned. I was... So I come from Barnsley, and I come from this school where, you know, my careers advisor wanted me to take one very specific path. Do uni. Do college. Do uni. Get a good job. Corporate ladder, you might get a, a manager job when you get to 30, you know? Yeah. This is just like the office. It's like, you know, you could be in my seat if when you get to 30. Like, I'm all right, thanks, David Brent. <laughs> so I was, I rebelled. I was, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. School was just a thing that I had to get through and I didn't really care about it. So why do I have to, do, why would I want to do that? Didn't go to college. I did college for a year, did music. And then I didn't go to university and didn't do any of that stuff. But I'd always been taught because of that mentality, you've got to be professional. So what does professional mean? It means turning up in my cheap 70 quid BHS suit 
with my little poncy briefcase that I had. No shit. I will try and find you some pictures. A briefcase wanker. Honestly, briefcase wanker. Dude, this is at age 23, right? So imagine that. And I'm skinny, so I'm 10 stone at 6 foot 2, 10 stone. I look like Gareth off the office. Honestly, man, I look like Gareth. So I, I, so I came out of this, this corporate world and set my own design business up. But I was treating it. I was in this professional box. Who the fuck wants to buy a website from a Ponce in a BHS suit with a briefcase? It didn't work. So nine months later, I'm just like, what is going on? Why has this not worked? And it was because I had professional head on. Mm. Now, yeah, it was crazy, man. I got to 60 quid in the bank and I was just about to quit. I mean, I went on a road trip. I, I, I took my last wage, which was basically me saying, okay, there's 500 quid in savings there, what we're going to do. I went on a road trip around Europe with some friends of mine in an RV and I came back with the full intent, 100% to quit. I was done. I was out of it. I'd closed the office down. I was out. And a really great friend of mine, whose birthday is this week, actually, uh, happy birthday, Don. <laughs> he, um, he said to me, dude, you do web. I'm a printer. And Mark, a good, great friend of ours downstairs, he's a photographer. Why don't we set a little mini agency up? We'll help small businesses in Barnsley. I was like, all right, I'm not doing anything else. And he fathered me into it. He was a real massive catalyst. And Mark as well. Huge, 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 massive, massive influences and mentors and friends and mm. huge, huge just, just inspirations. And, you know, really got, and just let me do what I wanted to do because I was this arrogant upstart, cocksure little shit at age 23. And they just let me be that. And, they, you know, they'd shave off the edges of the, the roughness every now and again and refine me into this thing that could sell stuff and help people. I, 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 I like getting excited about projects and get excited about helping people with achieving their goals, whether it's a plumber or whether it's a, a global brand. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're all trying to achieve something. I get really excited about helping people do that. And they spotted that. Mark and Don spotted that. And we did. We created an agency, which came off the back of me having nothing and quitting this agency Mm -hmm. and almost instantly setting a new agency up. Like I was done. I'd quit. But instantly set another agency up with one big difference, which was outside of the tutelage of these two guys, Don and Mark, I was able to just be myself. So then that's when I started sharing the fact that, you know what? I am going to wear my flash T-shirt to a meeting and I am going to wear my Green Lantern hat. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you don't like it because if you don't like it, we're not going to work together because this is what I do. And if professionalism is something else, if you believe that having the Gareth from the office suit on and the, 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 the little briefcase, which I can't believe I had, if you believe that that's professionalism or if you want someone that turns up and will just blow smoke up your ass, then we will never work together anyway. So I may as well just enjoy what I'm doing. And I may as well swear a little bit more because that's what I do. And I may as well wear my flash T-shirt and I may as well tell you that I think your idea is shit and actually <laughs> maybe we do it a different way because you should be more outcome-oriented, not solution-oriented. And, you know, that's how I started doing business and then it went crazy. Suddenly it just went crazy. And it was, it was down to getting out of this professional box and just becoming a person. Yeah. But no one teaches you that at school. Huh. No one teaches you that at school. They always teach you, be professional. Yeah. And professionalism is just turning up on time, doing what you say you're going to do, and not being a dick. Like, that is just, that yeah. is, professionalism is just that. Yeah. And it gets so overcomplicated. Um, so, yeah, the down was really losing that, really losing all that money, losing the first agency that I had, mm-hmm. and really understanding, holy crap, 
I, I, I cannot. I had to apply for an overdraft to pay my VAT. Really? No shit. If I'd not applied, if I'd not got, if, if there was a, the serendipitous amount of timing all the serendipitous events that had to occur for me to be able to pay the VAT bill that month in 2000 and something, had they not happened, I would have been in deep shit. And just luckily it happened. And I got to that point, I was like, wow, I don't know what's not working. Yeah. Why I'm being professional, I'm doing all the things that everyone says you should do. Why is it not working? Hmm. And without that, I would have been, without that real low, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done anything else ever. Yeah. I'd have got a job. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you first get involved in podcasting? How did that come onto your radar? I blame Batman. <laughs> Batman. Seriously. So <laughs> 2011, DC Comics relaunched all of their comics. It's called the New 52. And they, re- they relaunched it with the proviso that all lapsed fans or people that want to get into comics, they don't have to contend with 30 years of history since Crisis on Infinite Earths in 85. So 30 odd years of history. They don't have to contend with anyone or 20 odd years. They can just join and they can pick up a comic from the 1st of September 2011 and that we can all start fresh. So I was like, oh, because I've always loved Superman. I remember standing in front of my grandma's record player, listening to the Superman theme tune by John Williams, played by Graham Thorpe Colliery Band. And it brings, still makes hair stand up on, on my skin. I love it. It's like the thing that gets me. <laughs> and so I've always been a Superman fan. So when they did that, I was like, oh my word, I can get into comics again. So I did. Picked up all of the number ones that came out over that month. There was 52 of them. And I picked them all up. They were like two quid each, three quid each. Picked them all up, got really back into it. About, mm, well, I started tweeting about it. So this is kind of running alongside this idea of you can be yourself in business. Mm-hmm. So I've not got any business Twitter accounts. It's just me, Mr. Asquith on everything. Like there's, yes, we've got a podcast website's one, but that's a little bit different. But all my business stuff mm-hmm. is mixed in with my personal stuff on my Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I'm posting all these pictures of comics. Like, look at this drawing of Kyle Rayner. Like this is a, this is a Brad Meltzer, Kyle Rayner. You can tell by the cheekbones and the way this, you know, it was, I was into it. You know, I still have. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a good friend of mine, Gaz Aylert, came to me and said, dude, what about podcasting? You want to do a... No, he said, do you want to do a blog called Two Shots to the Head, which is a reference from uh, Batman Dark Victory, Two Shots to the Head. Um, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. That's the quote, Two-Face quote. So we were like, yeah, we'll do a blog. We'll call it Two Shots to the Head.com, and we'll love it. And we did. We blogged. Every... Our goal was for one year, do at least one blog post every day. Whoa. And we did it. And we got, we got press passes to comic cons. We got, I still get stuff sent through the post. Can you review this comic? I'm like, this is awesome. This, yeah. this is cool. <laughs> so he then said, dude, we should do a podcast. And I said, Gary, dude, it's not 2005. Why, would, why the hell would we do a podcast? I don't want to talk about my favorite TV show. I don't want to talk about comics. I don't want to talk like no one gives a shit what I think and that no one wants to listen to me. He made me buy a blue snowball mic which are, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're all right as a starter mic, but they're a bit rough for a podcaster. So we bought this microphone and we did an episode and people listened to it. And I was like, what the? <laughs> what? <laughs> why are people listening to this thing? This is me ranting about why Kyle Rayner's is the best Green Lantern and that Hal Jordan gets way too much press. Why? And people did. People listened to it. So I went on holiday. Fast forward a few months. I went on holiday and I'm sat there. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, look, I've built this agency up. We were doing all right. You know, we'd, we'd got, I think, 10 team members. We were, from a, for a company in Barnsley, we were working with some insane people. 
And, you know, people are asking, how do you do that from Barnsley? And, and, and so we, we were in this zone of doing something that people thought you couldn't do from a place people said you shouldn't be able to do it. And <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, people keep asking me these kinds of questions. Maybe I'll just podcast. I'd not listened to anything at this point. The only podcast I was listening to was Kevin Smith, Fat Man on Batman. <laughs> uh, and I actually managed to meet Kevin Smith a few years later at Podcast Movement. I had a good chat with him and I thanked him. I said, listen to me because he's all about this sort of stuff. I said, you talking about Batman on a podcast as di- directly correlates to me now employing a team of people and giving them a livelihood from podcasting. Like, Thank you so much for doing that and enabling that. And he was like blown away by it. So I, I had this idea on holiday. Like, I should probably answer these business questions once and record it and interview people. And like, so if anyone wants to ask that question, I can just say, well, go to this page and listen to this audio. Mm. I wasn't listening to JLD or Pat or Chris or any of those guys. Mm. I wasn't listening to anyone. So I thought I'll do an interview show. <laughs> I launched the interview show and I'm like, oh, bollocks. Everyone's doing interview shows. Like JLD had just smashed it with the fire. Pat was doing his. Everyone's doing these entrepreneur interviews. I'm like, oh man. <sighs> that wasn't that original then, was it? <laughs> but that then became Excellence Expected, which is my personal brand now. And it, you know, now it's, we don't do interviews so much anymore. It's much bigger than that. But that's how I got into podcasting from Batman. And then from people saying... Keep asking me these questions and me just thinking, you know, I should probably record this with this little microphone that Gary made me get to talk about Batman. Yeah. And that's, but now that's all I do, podcasting and I run a podcasting business. So without that little, who would have thought that that would lead to this? It's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, that's how I got into it. So random. (laughs) What makes a great podcast? Doing what we're doing now, man. Diving deep. I have never once, ever, never, ever, ever, never spoken about my family life. I've never spoken about my mum's illness. I've never spoken about any of that on any other media. So the fact that you've brought that out of me mm-hmm. is what makes a show like this so wonderful. And that is what podcasting just thrives upon, is diving underneath the surface. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there are so many podcasts. I mean, the, the barrier to entry with podcasting has never been low. You can buy an ATR2100 for 60 quid, mm-hmm. stick it into your MacBook, record on GarageBand, or even into your iPhone now. Yeah. You know, stick it into your iPhone using the USB adapter. And you can create a very good quality in terms of the tech podcast. Mm-hmm. But what resonates with people is when, when you go deeper, when you actually get to moving someone or relating to them emotionally and, and, and tying in how they feel. There's a very specific reason that I talk about wanting to impress Kirsty with the hot dog story and saying that Scott was there and Big Pete and Andrew Thompson and Martin and all these guys. I say that all... Because it's, you get that, you can picture it. There's a reason that I tell you that yeah. we were wearing Italian 90 shell suits and that the Turtles were on TV and yeah. Michael Jackson was still big and we're all trying to dance like him, which I remember terribly failing at. <laughs> but that's what makes a podcast great as well, the fact that you can move someone. Because remember, it's a little bit different to video. Video, you have to be captivated and you've got to sit down and you've got to dedicate time to this. Podcasting is transient. Yeah. You're at the gym, you're walking the dog, you're at work, you're in the car concentrating on all the other people on the road. And so it has to get you. It's got to connect. Mm-hmm. And there's no more intimate, you know, in, the podcasts are in your ears. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's nothing more intimate than, than being so tied up to someone and being able to talk to them on their level. So that, I believe, is what makes a good podcast, is making people feel. Get under their skin. Say the things that people mm-hmm. aren't saying. No, don't just do entrepreneur interviews. 
Talk about things that those entrepreneurs have never spoken about before. Mm-hmm. Get into their family life. Get into what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. You know, talk to Pat Flynn about Back to the Future and the fact he was in a marching band. Talk to me yeah. about my family life and how, what the impact of that hot dog story was. Not just how to make my podcast better. Yeah, you know that's t- yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. Like a lot of podcasts tend to deal with the more practical kind of businessy related stuff and tend not to probably go into the the backstory so mm-hmm. much. I don't know. Yeah, they do. A lot of them do. A lot of it's tactical as well. So a lot of people yeah. use podcasting as as listening. I think there's a few different variations on podcasting. I think you've got your practical business ones, which mm-hmm. are do this to achieve this. Mm-hmm. I think you've got your inspirational ones, which are fine and they're very obvious what they are. You know, here's a story that's going to inspire you to be better. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, podcasting started out as entertainment, started out as a bunch of guys talking about things they loved. So you've got all those things. You've got, you've got two shots of the head talking about DC Comics. Yeah. Then you've got like the NPR guys telling stories, these wonderful mm. crafted productions mm-hmm. and Malcolm Gladwell doing revisionist history, talking about these mm-hmm. wonderful, you know, things from the past that people might not understand quite. And law, Aaron Mankey doing law, which is a story based podcast and really high production value. But then you've also got people doing that kind of thing without the production value. So Steve doing your London legacy that we spoke about last night, mm-hmm. you know, he's just out there with a microphone. Like, okay, you were the person that, you you stayed in your shop during the Tottenham riots. Tell me a little bit about that. No one's doing that. That's what podcasting is really powerful for. You can get anything that you want to broadcast. You can broadcast using just a microphone yeah. and, and iTunes or, or, or Stitcher or Google Play. It's amazing. <laughs> really is cool. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is good. It is. Love it. Yeah, likewise. Love it. Um, I'd like to ask you just a, a few, or I suppose just a question really around about you're quite into your tech. You're quite, you know, up to speed with things. Um, what are some of your favorite tools and pieces of technology that, that kind of augment your life? Augment your life is yeah, a good yeah. question. We were talking about this again last night. I'm all over Alexa and voice assistants at the minute. Yeah. I think everyone's a little bit into that at the minute, but the, um, I'm all, I'm all, all for making your life easier. The, the little tiny, bits that you just think oh man what a pain those things if you can get rid of them your life becomes just that little bit easier so i'm loving things like alexa at the minute alexa is it cold outside alexa what's the weather Mm. give me the flash briefing you know i love all that sort of work Um, i'm really really into that but then just crazy little things like the ipad i know it sounds really weird this but everyone's going to be like what's this idiot talking about but an ipad but the ipad with a pencil uh, that's a game changer for me I'm, I'm, I don't no longer have to carry 15 notebooks which is no lie I used to carry about 15 notebooks I know, honestly I no longer have to bring a laptop with me no longer have to worry about doing Skype calls and Zoom calls on my phone I can actually have a decent screen there so you've got this ent- like, I think it's wonderful that someone was able, able to conceive this thing mm-hmm. that you can just conveniently run your business from. I think that's a game changer for the people that are wanting to do side hustles and wanting to build their own side businesses. Like all you need is the thing that you need for entertainment as well. So before, you know, if you think back 10 years ago, it was like, well, I need this kind of PC. I've got to do this. I need to get all this equipment or I've got to get certain, I need to be in a certain place to do it. You know, you need a big old tower PC or a giant yeah. old compact laptop. <laughs> You don't need it anymore. The thing that you buy for entertainment because your kids want to play on Angry Birds is also the thing that will enable you to do what you want to do. Mm. It's just how you use it. So I'm loving that kind of thing at the minute. I'm also loving um, a lot of the tools that are cropping up online, like some of the web apps that people are 
like throwing out there just to make like the shitty bits of your life easier, you know, <laughs> yeah. in business. So things like um, running your processes, like how do you train up your, your, your staff and your team members? Mm. Yeah, you know, create your videos or you'd, you'd take them out and train or you'd show them something. But now there are places like Process Street pr- propping up and you're like, well, on the surface, it's, it's just a checklist. You know, on Process Street, you create checklists. But they've give, they're actually giving you a tool that will take 30% of your training time on training new staff out because you create one process once, link mm. all your videos, your tutorials to it, and then every time that person needs to do this task, they follow this process. So you, got, you get this entire, for a small business who would never do it, you get all your standard operating procedures that you don't even realise that you need, and it's done. So you never need to train people. You've, got, you've just got this thing there. And I think mm. the people that have the vision to be able to say, here's a problem that, is, that feels so tiny but then who managed to validate that problem and create something that works for the masses. I think that's a wonderful part of the world that we live in, mm-hmm. is that, one, if you've got an idea, it's probably not a daft idea. Two, it, every, all of these little crazy ideas will find their own little micro-community, and that micro-community is enough to make your living. Hmm. It's enough to give your family a better life. Yeah. So, you know, anyone that's got a crazy idea, start to work on it, start to validate and, 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 and test your assumptions on it, because... That's what, so back to the tech, that's what I'm really into, these little micro solutions. I think it's fantastic. Hmm. So yeah, that's a really geeky answer, that. No, I like that. That's a great answer. (laughs) Really good answer. So what does a day in the life look like for you at the moment? I know that you've had a few changes in terms of your businesses. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So in fact, I'll, I'll two part of that if you want. I'll do you a, a, like beginning of 2017 and then the end of 2017. It's very, very different. Yeah. Um, so flashback to 2005, you know, I said, I set up the agency. Um, and then a, a year or so later, we set up Hacksaw as it was, mm. which was the, the design and brand agency. So that ran for, for a long time, nearly a decade, um, with my good friends, Dawn and Mark and Kai and Dan as the directors, along with myself. Beginning of 2017, I was, I was, I was kind of maybe 40%, 50% working on Hacksaw. I was 25% working on podcast websites and 25% working on my brand, Excellence Expected. Mm-hmm. In June, we made the decision to close Hacksaw down. So the business that we'd all worked on for nearly 10 years, we made the decision to close it down. Um, so my day at the beginning of 2017 was get up, do the usual morning routine stuff, do a bit of writing, get the exercise out of the way, get the breakfast done, you know, the usual stuff, and work at Hacksaw on these projects. End of 2017, it's actually commuting to Sheffield, which is a lot further for me to commute, get into the centre of Sheffield, um, work on podcast websites full-time, and then do do my excellent expected work just around the clock, basically, because that's my fun piece. That's what I love doing in my spare time. It's... Uh, it's as much of a hobby as it is a business, really. I love it. So it's purely now, it's where I was doing these two or three different things. Now it's like, okay, here's, we're building this software company and we're growing that thing out. And so the days have been very, very different. So ordinarily it's up, do the whole morning routine thing that everyone else says they do yeah. and then get on the train or drive down to Sheffield. I'm usually in pretty early because I like to do recording early morning. And it sound, this is going to sound really weird as well, but I, 
I like to talk with the cleaners at the office, at the studio, at podcast websites. We've got two cleaners who are wonderful and they're into Justice League, they're into all the movies that I'm into. So I'm yeah. ordinarily, I'm in at 7am and I'm recording the 7 Minute Mentor podcast. Okay. And I'll do five or six episodes batching it and then they'll come in and I'll do like, and now we're talking to them about Justice League or really? yeah, some movies. <laughs> so it's this really nice, cool little routine that I like. That's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, just, just focus on building software, really. Yeah. And, and the business out from there, yeah. So, so where do you see yourself in kind of five years' time? That's a good question, actually. Um, do you know what? I, I, I don't like to answer that insofar as here's where I'll be or what I'll be doing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a funny one when it comes to that. I'm, I'm always the guy that says you should focus on how you want to feel. So I, I wrote a blog post a while ago. Um, it's called Be What You Want To Be Without Knowing What You Want To Do. So that. It's an interesting one. And... The premise is that throughout this year, I've been asked by so many people, what do I do? I don't know what I want to do in my life. So one of the directors that left Hacksaw still, I don't think, knows what he wants to do. A good friend of mine who's a plumber and also a wonderful guitarist, he's like, I want to play guitar for a living, but I don't know how to do it or what I want to do, and I don't quite know what that means for me. So I wrote this blog post, which was, everything's transient, everything changes. In two years' time, you might want to do something different. You might not want to do what you're doing now. So this thing that you are so deep dive passionate about, in two years' time, you might be bored of it. I got bored of Hacksaw, the agency. That was a big catalyst for me. I just, there was nothing wrong with it. It was a good business. It was growing. I just got bloody bored, <laughs> and I stopped. I was like, oh, guys, I'm, I'm leaving. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this business now. And that was because I got bored. So... A lot of people will say, in five years' time, I want to be doing this, or I want to be doing that. Mm. I always take it from the perspective, actually, how do you want to feel? So in five years' time, I want to not be worried about money. I want to feel like I'm securing what I'm doing. I want to be comfortable in my own skin. I don't want, like, a big driver for me is when I have kids. I don't want anyone to be able to tell me, you cannot take them to football practice because you have to be at work. You can't drop them off at school. I want to feel free and back to the hot dog thing. I don't want any, anyone controlling what I'm doing. So I, I always challenge that question a little bit. Actually, how do you want to feel in five years' time? Because in five years, you might have done three other jobs. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole where you see yourself, I think, is a bit of a challenge. And all the decisions that we make, we're very often basing on kind of a success metric that might not matter in two years, money, on a yeah. specific number. And sure, you need those specific numbers to keep moving forward, but we might be basing it on something that will change. So the t- decisions that we make now might be wrong in a year's time because we've based them on factors that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So I always say, well, actually, what are, the three, what are the three things that you want to feel? Mm. I want to feel free. I want to feel financially secure. And do you know what? I, I said this to a client of mine a few months ago when we were basically saying we're, we're quitting Hacksaw and we don't, we, don't, we don't want you as a client anymore. And he said, why? And I said, do you know what? Because I just want to do stuff that's fun. I want to be able to go out and spend the month in the States and just have some fun doing it. And that's how I want to feel. So in five years' time, what do I want to be doing? Where do I see myself? I see myself having fun. I see myself with no one telling me where I need to be. And I see myself just helping people. This is why we do podcast websites and Excellence Expected. I, I want to help people achieve what they want to achieve. Mm. That's, if I do those three things, I'll be pleased. I'll be chuffed to bits. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> that we, we've kind of touched upon this perhaps, but not 
quite as as directly. Um, I mean, what do you kind of feel is, I suppose, your your purpose in life or your your why? I guess. Yeah, that's a good one. So the purpose is different to the why. Like the why is why you do it, I believe, and mm-hmm. the purpose is, I think, is a little different. So when I was at school, I think I might have told you this last night as well over steak, but I was I was I was reflecting on this a couple of weeks ago. My school reports always used to say things like, likes to make people laugh, likes to make people smile, likes to do X. And I'm a very introverted guy. I am very introverted. And, and even though it doesn't come across that way, I, I am. And I, that whole making people laugh thing at school, I took as a really bad thing. Because I thought it was me like wanting to be liked and wanting people to just appreciate me. And actually, it's not. I actually don't care about that. If someone likes me, wonderful. If they don't, it's all right. We'll be fine. So that wasn't the case. What I actually realized is that, and I only realized this a few years ago, I actually like making people have better days. Mm. This is why all my businesses, podcast websites in particular, is 100% customer service focused. Mm. Like if we give you a better day, if we pleasantly surprise you at every turn, mm. that is our job done. So that's my purpose, is to make people's days just a little bit better. So with podcast websites, you know, if someone calls up and says, holy shit, my podcast, it's, it's not published to iTunes, it will be fixed. It won't be a, okay, let's wait and it'll be done in a couple of days or here's the lead. It won't it'll be, it will be fixed and it will get done because that makes their day, day better. It gives them a pleasant surprise. That first reply that they'll get is a solution. It's not a deferral. So, or deferment. So that's that's the real key thing for me. My purpose is just making people's lives a little bit happier. And that actually goes back to the last question, which was, where do you want to be in five years? Mm. I might be doing that in so many different ways. I might be a window cleaner in five years, but I'm making all people's lives better by doing the windows that they can't reach. Mm. That might be my niche. I only work with old people who can't reach their upstairs windows. And I'll do it because it'll make their day so much bloody better. Yeah. And they'll be so pleased by it, you know? <laughs> Uh, that was that's an example from my mum actually. She's just got a window cleaner because she can't reach her upstairs oh, windows yeah. anymore. Um, but yeah, that that it doesn't matter how I'm doing that. That is my purpose. I think to make people's lives a little bit easier. And the guys at work at podcast websites, like they always take the piss out of me because I am so customer focused. I'm like, dudes, look, we've got to be better. Yeah. We have to be better all the time. Not than our competition. Not than anyone. Else. We've just got to be better than we were earlier today not yesterday earlier today hmm. like what can we do that's better what's that next surprise that we can give someone hmm. so i think that's my purpose is making people's lives just a little bit better through whatever medium and what way do you think that differs to your why then well i think the, the why my why mm-hmm. is an internally focused thing okay so i think the why is very inwardly focused insofar as i don't want anyone controlling me so I don't want someone saying you cannot hot, have that hot dog because you don't have the means to get the hot dog or you will be at this place at this time because I say you have to be at this place at this time. I don't like that. That's my why. My why is, nah, I can't deal with that. So my why is to never feel like that again. Yeah. I will never ever feel like that again. That is my entire mission. That's my why. And that's very inwardly directed. The purpose which will deliver on my why mm-hmm. is very outward Outwardly, focused yeah. insofar as I want to help people do what mm-hmm. they want to do. Because remember, there's so many other people in the position that I was in. So many, I get so angry with people from, um, say, people that I used to go to school with. 
and I'll talk to them and they'll be like, oh, you're so lucky doing what you do. And I am lucky that I get the opportunity to do that. But by, by the same token, it's fucking hard work. Mm. You know, I'm, I will be awake at 4 a.m. in the morning thinking about the interface design for the next podcast software because it won't, my, bra- my brain won't stop. It won't mm. stop. So like that, it's fantastic to be able to do that, but you've got to put the work in just like you do with this. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of lucky, but at the same time, you know, hard work beats talent and all that stuff. You know, you've got to work your ass off for it. And these guys want to do so much more. And this is why it frustrates me. And this is why I set Excellence Expected up, actually, to help people who don't believe that it's for them, Mm. who want to do it, but have always been told that they can't do it, who know that they've got it in them to do it. They just don't know what the first 10 or 20 steps are. You know, everyone can give you the first step, read the one thing Mm. and get the principles but what do you do? Like, what do you do? Because yeah. it's different for everyone. Hmm. So, yeah, I think, I think that's... It, it makes me really frustrated when people say, I can't do this based on... Like, they're not... They've got no physical ailments. Mm-hmm. They're fully able to do whatever they want to do. But it's other people that have told them that they can't do it. Yeah. That is wildly frustrating. And it's always, in my opinion, it's always the people from either the poorer backgrounds or have been brought up to develop self, low self-esteem and self-esteem issues. And like, why should they suffer just because of what other people have projected onto them? You know, that's, I really like helping people get over that thing. You know, that mm-hmm. first one pound that they make into their business bank account. When everyone said that they should go and earn the corporate money or the company money, if they don't want to do that, then they shouldn't have to do that. They should, they should have as much right as anyone else yeah. to be able to earn that next one pound for themselves. Mm-hmm. So... That's a bit of a random answer. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like your legacy to be? I think that actually, that just, if, if I can help as many people as possible mm-hmm. to have their own version of freedom, not of success, because success comes through freedom. Like you can't possibly have success without the freedom to do it. And success looks different for everyone. Success feels differently to everyone. It's a different measurement for everyone. But if I can help someone break whatever shackles they have, so whether that's corporate culture, breaking out of corporate and building your own life, whether that's starting a podcast that's talking about DC Comics because my kids love talking to me about DC Comics, so I'm going to record that and spend that time with my kids where ordinarily I wouldn't be able to craft that time to spend with them. Mm. If I can help them do that, wonderful. If I can help them make money alongside their corporate business that takes their kids to Disneyland. Hmm. That, yeah, that's, as long as I can help as many people to have the freedom that they want, then I'm happy with that as a legacy. Nice. You mentioned success. How do you define success? Success for me is genuinely being where I want to be, doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, and helping the people that resonate with that mission. You know, so I've always helped like with podcasters or small business owners or service-based business owners that want to move into selling products because they can't possibly spend any more time working. They need to stop monetizing the time and monetize their experience instead. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I can do, my version of success is, is literally doing that for as many people as possible, but doing it kind of on my terms. So doing it where I want to do it, when I want to do it yeah. and how I want to do it. Like I'm very lucky that being here today, I was able to do a mastermind. My mastermind 
call that I've got with my coaching clients. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate, and you kindly, kindly uh, let me use your office. <laughs> but I was able to do that. Yeah, I wasn't in Barnsley doing it. I was here doing it. And I was still helping those guys. We had a fantastic session. The mm-hmm. replay's up for them to watch back. But I was doing it here. It was on my terms. And those guys were completely fine with that. So I think coming from yeah. corporate and being told what, what you have to do and when you've got to do it, I think I'm just rebelling still against that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I sometimes ask people this question and some people don't, but other people might. Um, do you have a, a kind of life philosophy? And, uh, and what, what would it be? It's a funny one. I don't know if I have a particular life philosophy. I think it's just more, maybe I do actually. I think it's always, always go a bit further than you think. So I'll explain that. I'll start with a business angle, with the customer service, for example. Always go five steps extra. So if someone expects this, go five steps extra. But also, in your personal life, be bolder. Go five steps extra with the boldness. Aim a lot higher. Rather than doing something that is kind of safe, aim for something a little bit further because you'll get further and you'll experience more. So when it's some, might be something like, okay, I want to travel for three weeks. No, travel for a month. Travel for five weeks. Travel for six weeks. Just do what you think because you, you make your decisions based on what you believe you can do. We all make those conscious decisions based on this is our this is our ceiling. This is whatever it is, whether it's a health goal, whether it's a business goal, whether it's a travel goal, whether it's whatever it's a family goal. We make them based we make our decisions and set our goals based on our perceived limitations. So if you always, as a philosophy for life, if you always say, I'm gonna add twenty percent to that, mm-hmm. you will you will be astounded at how your life changes. And that's when people start saying, Motherfucker, you're lucky. Yeah. And you're not. You just consciously decided to do the four weeks instead of the three weeks. Yeah. Or to lose the ten stone instead of the eight stone. Or to bulk <laughs> up the four stone instead of the three stone. Or yeah. run the marathon instead of the half marathon. <laughs> you know? So I think if you always aim for that little bit more, in whatever whatever part of life that is, you'll get... Your life will turn around and you will you will be surprised what a year of doing that will achieve. Definitely. I'm glad I asked that question. It's not an answer I expected. Good. <laughs> this, this is just a random thought in my head, but how did the name Excellence Expected come about? Steve Jobs quote, most people aren't used to working in an environment where excellence is expected. That's where it came from. Really? <laughs> yeah. Couldn't get the damn domain name though. Someone got it. So oh, I've right. got the hyphenated one. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the quote came from. But actually the philosophy behind that was a little bit different. Um, so the, 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 the name came from the Steve Jobs quote, the paraphrasing thereof, but actually it came from the perspective of as, as entrepreneurs and as people that are driven. It doesn't just have to be entrepreneurs. It might be sports people. It might be um, people that are just driven to build a better family life for themselves and for their family. We, as people that are into personal development, like I've seen your bookshelf. You read the same yeah. books as me. You are into making yourself better in whatever way you want. And that means that when you don't hit that extra 20% that we talked about as that life philosophy, you kick the shit out of yourself. Mm. We expect ourselves to be excellent in everything that we do. So when we don't achieve the excellence, we beat ourselves up. Mm. We always expect ourselves. And my, you know, my, I sign off everything. All my webinars, all of my live calls, all of my Facebook lives, all my podcasts with, don't forget the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. 
and it's back to that. I expect 20% more. Mm. You expect more from yourself and you will do it. And a lot of people say, well, look, that can lead to burnout. That can lead to feeling bad when you don't achieve. But that's the point. Mm. If you are attracted to that kind of message, you're already pushing yourself. And you're one of the people that beats yourself up when you don't hit the goals. So to keep striving and to keep putting, you're going to do it anyway. So why not embrace it? Yeah. You're going to do it anyway. We all, there's so many people that you and I both know that will do that, yeah. that strive for this thing, but keep it under wraps because they don't like talking about it or they feel bad talking about it or they're, they're in, a, in a group environment where everyone else is not doing what they do and they're not pushing like they push. Mm. So why not embrace it? And why not live that philosophy and mm-hmm. expect more from yourself? Because if you do expect it, you will excel. Like, it's, try it for a year. I urge everyone, try it for a year. And you, I've, I've very consciously this year made this year the year of yes, doing everything. Any opportunity that comes my way, yes. Why not? It's been a crazy year. Yeah. I've done all sorts of crazy things that I never would have done. It's been fantastic. But the businesses have grown a heck of a lot as well. Mm. You know, month on month, we're exceeding targets. And it's because we're expecting more. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? That's a good question. So there's there's probably two. And (laughs) this is funny, this one. So you know the Richard Branson quote, say yes and figure it out later. Mm. I didn't know Richard Branson said that for years. Someone else told me it and I didn't know who it was, some, some local person. And I had the mentality. I was always, I remember having a meeting with a business link business coach in my early 20s saying, right, how many websites can you build per month? I was like, there's no limit to that. What do you mean there's no limit? We have to put a limit on it for this paperwork. I, no, no, no. There is no limit because here's what will happen. I get 10 websites in, I will fulfill them somehow. And if I get another 10 and I think, oh shit, I will fulfill them and they will get done and they'll be bloody good. And she, it did not compute in her head. She was like, no, every business has got a unit limit. Like, no, no, no. This business does not have a unit limit. We will fulfill it. It will be done well. And she did not get that. So that's the first bit of advice, which is just just take it on. Just embrace it and the whole Richard Branson thing. Just say yes and then figure it out later. That's a classic. And so many people are afraid of that mm. because they, they, they expect the skills to be there straight away. You know, and you, you don't learn to swim until you're in the water. You really don't. <laughs> You don't learn to swim until you... You don't learn to drive until you're in the car. Yeah. You can't play golf without a bloody golf club in your hand. So you, you, you're <laughs> in there doing it. So that's the first piece. The second piece is from Don, who I used to work with. And he... I was having a bad day once. A really bad day. Clients were pissing me off. We'd had some bad stuff going on. There was a couple of servers down. I'm talking a long time. And it was like a really stressful day. And he said to me, go and hit some golf balls. I was like, what do you mean? We're having this shit storm of a day, dude. I've got to solve this problem. So I just go and hit some golf balls, man. So I went and hit 100 golf balls, came back, sat back down and solved the problem instantly that we were having within five minutes. (laughs) So the advice there that Don gave me was that your subconscious got it. got it. Your subconscious has got this sorted. It's dialed it in. You don't have to worry about it. You've just got to let it do its job. Mm. So get out of your own way. That's, That's a massive piece of advice I give to myself. That's why five years ago, I would be chained to my office desk. And now I'm not anymore because the subconscious works. And I know that if I've got a problem to solve, I'll go out and I'll walk or I'll go to the gym or I'll go for a run or I'll just watch some mindless Star Wars. I say mindless Star Wars. I love Star Wars. It's <laughs> never mindless. 
but I'd watch Star Wars or something, the Clone Wars, and come back to my desk 20 minutes later, and boom, that's the problem solved. So that's the second piece of advice. Get out of your own way. Your subconscious has got this. It's got everything. You've got all the tools that you need up there. Yeah. You've just got to let it work. Get out of your own way. Love it. <laughs> if you had the opportunity to speak to your 20-year-old self, what would you say? I would say, don't worry. And we, I think we talked about this last night. Again, don't yeah. worry about everyone liking you. And you know what? Be yourself from day one. I know everyone says that. But I'm going to take it a step further. Publicize you being yourself. Like, embrace to the nth degree, the fact that you like Wally West instead of Barry Allen as the Flash, that Kyle Rayner is a far better Green Lantern. Publicize these crazy little things. And the reason for that is, is this. Every conference that I go to, and I speak at a lot of conferences, I've done a hell of a lot in the States this year, met people that I didn't think knew me. And I will guarantee you that at every single conference, at least three people will come up to me who are total strangers and they will say, why is Wally, Wally West better than Barry Allen? I'm like, well, now we're talking my language. And they very often, I end up doing work with them, either partnerships, joint ventures, or they'll become customers of podcast websites or mentees at Excellent Expected. And it always, always, I can, I can track a direct correlation between the conversations that have started based on the, my dog. Like I've got a giant white dog. And it's all of my Instagram. And people will come up to me that I've never met and say, how's Pete? I'm like, how, how do you know Pete? I'm like, oh, he's on your Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So be yourself, but don't feel like you can't be yourself in this professional environment. You will go so much further with that. So how do you integrate things like that into your personal brand? We're all living a personal brand anyway. Well, there is no, this is the, 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 the thing that, so the, we've all got a personal brand. We've all had a personal brand since day X. Like Jesus had a personal brand. Like who else is there? Steve Jobs, personal brand. John Lennon, personal brand. Yeah. We all have these personal brands. Everyone has got a personal brand. The thing is that, that, that is coming out now in business and in, in, in these kind of circles is how do you make money from the personal brand? That's the only difference is what is the next step? So this is how you are. This is the person that you are. And you're publicizing it. You're tweeting about it. You've got an Instagram account and you, you're putting all your stuff on there. Like You think about most people will set up a new business and here's what they do. I'm going to get me some kick-ass business cards from Vistaprint. No. Then I'm going to set a Twitter account up and an Instagram account for my new business. And I've got all these 2,000 followers on Twitter or 10 or 20 or 30. And my new business has got 13. Why? Why would you do that? So they do, they do this thing where they keep business and personal separate. But the reason that they do that is they think that this professional thing is the moneymaker. And they think this personal thing is just the thing you do after five o'clock. Well, have you ever heard the saying, and I'm sure you have, people buy from people. Mm -hmm. So why do we do this? Hmm. People buy from people. There's no reason to keep it separate. So personal branding has always been around, but people are now trying to make money from being themselves. And the way that you integrate that is just being bloody honest. The plumber comes around, you get two plumbers around to fix that pipe. They can both do it, otherwise they should not have a phone number on the side of the van. So that's that out the window. They can do it. Are they going to turn up on time? Well, probably because they want pain. So that's that out the window. What else is there? The only thing is, which one of these two am I going to give my house key to and believe that they're not going to steal my TV? 
Who's the person that I like and trust more? So those guys, plumbers and the electricians, like my dad, the, the spark, he's been making money from his personal brand for years. Because I guarantee you, if he walks into someone's house and there's Phil Collins playing on the radio, my dad's talking about Phil Collins because he loves Phil Collins. <laughs> That's his personal brand. And he's been making money from, from it for years. So we in this online space, this digital, like we've not embraced that yet. Mm. Or we're still struggling. And the fact of the matter is this. The personal brand is just how people get to know that you are not a goon. That you're not going to bail, that you are around, that you're consistent, that you're legit. That actually, when you stop working, you don't go back into your Transylvanian castle. You actually, you walk your dog like these other people do. Hmm. Our challenge is finding a solution to a problem that these guys have got. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and getting to know them so much that you become the only logical choice. There's a really good analogy for, for sales, actually, which is, I believe ties really nicely to personal brand, which is imagine you're walking down a corridor and you, you're trying to make a sale. You're walking down a corridor and you're leading your prospect down that corridor. It's a, it's a hotel hallway. Think of the shining. Right at the end of that hallway, you've got the doorway. that They get through that doorway and that's the sale closed. If that door opens, that sale is closed. Right down the, down the hallway, you've got all these other doors. And in these other doors are other people trying to pull them in trying to drag them in and get the sale. And these are your competitors trying to get them and trying to market to them and trying to give them the special offers and all that stuff, you know, all this kind of good stuff that is buy one, get one free or it's cheaper this week or whatever. All these different distractions. Your job, our job, is to be trusted so much by that person that they will walk into that room with you. They will hold your hand and they trust you enough to know that when they walk into that room, regardless of all these other things, that is the right decision for them and they are safe hmm. in that room. That's, that's what a personal brand is. It's getting someone to take your hand and be willing to be led and be willing to be guided. That's the only difference. So that's how we make money from personal brands is basically we publicize the fact that we are living our lives hmm. and we're just being ourselves and we walk the dog. And we trip over steps and we get wet when it rains and we do all these other things. But it just so happens at the same time that I've got this solution to this problem that's been plaguing you. And I'm a real person, so you can call me and we can chat. That's how you monetize it. And it's different for everyone how you do that. You're going to share what you love, I'll share what I love. And your Mm. tribe will be attracted to you, my guys will be attracted to me. And that's fine. Because there's a hell of a lot of people in the world. Hmm. You're never going to run out of people. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's a very abstract way of looking at it, a very abstract way of looking at how you monetize your personal brand. But you've got to get the personal bit right. Yeah. You've got to, and, and you can't bloody rush it. Most people want, like they'll get, all right, that's it, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. Are you? Okay. Let's talk about that for a second. Are you an entrepreneur? Because I feel like you probably need to put your time in. You know, you can't just say, I'm quitting my job to be an entrepreneur. Mm. Those that say, I'm quitting my job to be an entrepreneur, very often get it wrong. Mm. Those who quit the job to say, I'm going to solve this problem for these people so that their lives are better, they're the guys that get it right. So that's, that's I think, is a very, very important distinction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. Last question is a big one, Mark. If you could change anything in the world, what would it be and why? Anything in the world, what would it be and why? I've got, I really want to help people with the things that we take for granted. So I'd take away as much of 
the the people struggling for basics as much of the poverty as I could I'd take away all mm. of that and I'd, I'd try and I mean it's, Christ it's a huge problem but try and somehow democratize democratize aid so that you can everyone deserves a fair chance mm. you know I want to give I'd love to be able to give everyone a fair chance like why is this kid that's brought up in London getting a better chance at life than this kid born in Africa yeah. Like, why is that? How is that fair? It is not fair on that kid. Mm. There's not, they've been born equal. And I'd, I'd love to be able to challenge that. I mean, that's a massive thing. And there's guys way, way above my pay grade, you know, the Bill and the Melinda Gates of the world, doing so much in that space. And I'd, but I'd love to get involved in that somehow in the future um, mm. and be able to do that. So that's the one thing I'd love to change. Also, we need more Elon Musks. <laughs> yeah. We've got to do good stuff quicker, and that guy is just crushing it. So I think those two things. I think we've got to advance quicker, and I think people like Elon are doing it. But I'd love to be able to democratise aid and give everyone, yeah. every kid born, deserves a fair chance. Definitely. It's a brilliant answer. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Great stuff. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Mark. I've absolutely loved it. Um, it's, you, you've got a really fascinating um, story, you know. I had no idea that your early life has shaped you and how you are now. I'd have never have thought that. I'd have never have kind of linked that together. So It's an interesting conundrum, actually, isn't it? A lot of people, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, wouldn't think that. A lot of people, it's a funny one, because the people who knew me and who, who've known me from being a kid, they're always like, wow, what are you doing now? What's he up to? What's he up to now? You, you look like you're doing really well. And you're like, no, it's not. It's not about that. Mm. Like, I still live in Barnsley. Could, I could move to London. I've toyed with the idea of moving to London and to the States and New York, and there's an opportunity to do it. I could build the businesses there. But I live in Barnsley. I love it. Like my little nieces, my little niece and my two nephews are there. Like there's nothing more important than turning up and, you know, Evie squirting me with a water pistol or, you know, Josh squeezing my leg and removing, not <laughs> refusing to remove himself from it for some weird reason. Like there's nothing better than that. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, when people say that and they see that you just enjoy what you're doing. I don't think it computes in a lot of people's head. You know, uh -huh. I think they, they assume that, um, I, th I think they assume it's all finance-oriented and money-oriented and it becomes about what people have. Mm -hmm. And the more you pursue what you, you, what you can possess, I think the less happy you become. I think it's about experiencing, it's about living, and yeah. it's, about, it's about just being able to have the flexibility. My mum's a complete shit for it. Sorry, mum, but you are. She always says to me, oh, I never, I don't like to bother you. We don't like to come through or whatever. We don't like to bother you because we know you're always busy. Like, that's No, look, I've set myself up. This is my big purpose. I've set myself up to never be actually too busy for people. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about it yesterday. There are generally, we, you and I are both frustrated by people queuing for things. <laughs> yeah. And there's too many people out there queuing for the same things that we want. But people that are close to you, there's never... There's never any scenario that you should be too busy for them. Never. Nothing is more important than that. You know, and if, if, if you put yourself in a position where you can allocate time to them and be there, and like I've got a very specific routine on a Sunday. I'll go down, I'll see my mum, I'll see the kids, I'll have a cup of tea and some cold toast. Do you like cold toast with butter on? Or do you have oh, hot toast? Yeah. What is it? It's strictly hot. No one likes cold toast. <laughs> I love it. Me and my grandma love it. Um, <laughs> And I'll, that's a very specific routine on a Sunday. And I'll do that. And I love it. Like that, it buys me the chance to be able to do that. And I went out for lunch on Wednesday last week with my mum and my dad and Josh, the kid, and, and, and my sister, Izzy. 
if someone was to tell me you've got to be back in an hour after lunch, yeah. I, no, that's not what it's about. So, yeah, it's, it's an, you've got to find your driver. You've mm-hmm. got to find your driver. And often it's not what people expect. So a lot of people, like I said, will look from the outside and say, you're doing all right. But I just think as long as I can turn up, like I always wear a baseball cap. This is the one day that I've not worn a baseball <laughs> cap because, you know, we're on camera. But if I can turn up to work wearing a baseball cap and a flash T-shirt and I can see the people that matter when I want to see them, that's a win. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Great stuff. Cool, man. That's Mark, thank you so much. You've got some, you've got some good technique, man. Oh, thank you, you very you're much. Right. Honestly, you're a cracking interviewer, so congratulations oh, on this. So this much. is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Cheers, Mark. Thank Pleasure, you. man. You've been listening to Inspired Edinburgh. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for more powerful conversations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show, and we'll see you at the next episode.